Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about the TV show Invincible and all the ethical questions that it raises. All that and more after commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I have to say, this was not a show that I was thinking about watching much of until the folks at the Animation Deliberation Podcast, who I've been doing a lot of work with over on the Star Wars podcast about the Bad Batch, they've been talking nonstop about this TV show Invincible and how good it was and all the interesting stuff it raised. So I decided to start watching it, got instantly hooked, and immediately it was like, okay, folks, you got me into the show. Now it means you have to podcast with me about it. So I'm really glad I have here as a guest, uh, Zuhair Ali, who's been one of the, the co-hosts of that show and have a lot of great things to say about it. Uh, Zuhair, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Um, now that I've had some time for this wild show <laughs> to finally settle in, I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about it again. For sure. For sure. You know, it's interesting. I will watch a lot of things if it, it raises some good questions. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why I liked it is I kept hearing everyone talk about how much I, they liked it, but I heard very few spoilers about it. So I was able to kind of just jump right in. And I'll say, for, for our listeners at home, I think this has become a very popular show. Some of you may not have seen it. I think a lot of why I liked it is it feels a lot like The Boys in some ways, in that it raises a lot of questions about both a world in which superheroes exist and a world in which, maybe a better way to say it is where superpowered people exist and where it's not quite as gritty and dark as The Boys, but it does still have like a wide range of what happens to a world of normal people once some people have powers and how do those powers affect people and what are the choices we make and what do we do as ordinary people and how do we respond to it? So I think I love this show because it really taps into a lot of the the kind of core issues that superhero ethics is all about and that shows like The Boys and other things have explored in interesting ways. So Zahir, why don't we start with you just kind of giving a, a quick summary of the of the show. Um, you know, I'm sure you can take eight hour long episodes and summarize <laughs> it in two minutes, but just for those folks who haven't seen it but wanted to have an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, so the show came out on Amazon Prime, and when we started Animation Deliberation, it was more of Jay Scotty just telling me, hey, we should watch the show, people might be interested in it, it's animated, etc., etc. So I was like, I, I went in knowing absolutely nothing about it. Maybe I watched the trailer once and was like, okay, uh-huh. it's got a cool voice cast, whatever. <laughs> uh, but the setting of the show is that we have this Justice League type team, which is like the best of the best, the protectors of the of the globe which the globe happens to only be united states for the most part <clears throat> yes. and call the guardians of the globe but it seems run by america yeah as most things are um and then you do have people with superpowers but it's not a world where like superpowered people have taken over like in like my hero academia would have there mm-hmm. are it, it's it's still like a majority of the population is still regular human beings and there's few enhanced people and they do hit a lot of aliens. There's a lot of science related villains and heroes. Uh, so it, it is pretty standard in mm-hmm. regards to like what you expect of the superhero show and, and the setting that it provides. Yeah, I'd say so. And I think with, then within that story, it does some really interesting things of, you know, we start with the first episode, especially, is really kind of a, a head a head a head fake because you start with just this episode about you know you have kind of a very strong woman named Warrior Woman, and uh, you know you have a speedster uh, who's very much I think it's called Red Rush. She's mm-hmm. very much kind of a Flash type, and then you have the sort of like Superman type character named Omni Man, who's an alien, et cetera, et cetera. And 
you know, so at first it seems like the show is going to be okay, a pretty standard Justice League kind of thing. Until, uh, major spoilers for the show throughout this episode, until the end of that first season, in the end of the first episode, when Omni-Man just utterly, brutally slaughters the rest of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, God. The Guardians of the Globe, sorry. Um, and, and so I think the, the way the plot unfolds is um, we, have, we have a couple un, unfolding storylines. One is people are trying to figure out who killed the Guardians of the Globe and slowly discovering that it was Omni-Man. Uh, Omni-Man has a son who is, I think, really the, the main character of the show, and he is the superhero who becomes named Invincible. Yeah. And who, over the course of the show, we get what seems like this nice kind of father-son dynamic with the two of them, of him learning to be a superhero. Except, of course, we know that Omni is this, you know, murdering person, and we don't know why. Until by the end, we realize it's because Omni-Man is from this other planet, and he's kind of been assigned... Basically, that other planet, Villamite, is trying to grow this galactic empire, and he's there to kind of help soften up or prepare Earth for that, you know takeover, invasion, etc. And he wants uh, our hero, Invincible, to learn that the humans are all just kind of puny and pets and insignificant and that uh, he should be part of the great Villamite Empire. And, of course, our hero rejects that, rejects his father, and that's kind of the big final confrontation. Man, I'm just cringing then, thinking about all those scenes again. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're intense. We're going to get into that intensity. And then kind of the two other, I think, main plots that, that happen at the same time is... We're introduced to this group of people that is like um, basically an American agency designed to like handle this, headed up by a guy named Cecil. And it's sort of it's an interesting question throughout about whether are they Shield, are they more like you know Amanda Waller <clears throat> and and that organization in DC? Like, are they good guys? Or are they bad? Is kind of unclear. But that's sort of a running part of the story. As is the formation of a new group of people, the Guardians of the Galaxy who all have their own kind of issues and things like that. And as well as, and honestly, this is part of why I love it, all this is happening while Mark, the character who's invincible, who's a 17-year-old boy, is going to high school. And so it has that kind of stuff, the, the Peter Parker kind of thing that a lot of people love, or the Arrowverse of he's still a 17-year-old kid going through high school romance and dating and trying to figure all this stuff out. And so it's it's a nice kind of way of sort of taking a number of things from our own world and putting them all through the superhero lens. I mean, yeah, I think that just about nails it. Like, there's... Uh, the, the show definitely likes to take cliches of things that we've already seen. And as as the show starts up, like, with its initial action sequences, despite, like, how, how graphic it was, uh, it was just kind of... It had a predictability factor... Mm-hmm. Just based off of like all the all the tropes and like what we expect out of of superhero shows, and I think that's what helped me get attached to the characters as quick as I did. Yeah, because if we didn't have this Guardians of the Globe, which is the Justice League like episode, uh, Justice League like team, excuse me, that directly mimics Wonder Woman, Batman. The Flash, Aquaman, which happened to be a fish and actually really cracked me up. But if yeah. it wasn't for the fact that they did take something stereotypical and make it into their own thing, I don't think I would have gotten attached to those characters as quick as I did when they met their demise. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I think, especially for the kind of the ethical questions it raises, it's very helpful because some like I don't love tropes necessarily, and it's night you don't want to see things that feel lazy. And so I often like when things have a really original take. Here, I think, though, they did the originality in a different way where it was to say, 
we're going to take a very common trope that you know and understand. And so, like you said, like we'll give you signposts so that we don't need a backstory episode about this fish person. You know who they are. You know who the Wonder Woman character mm-hmm. is. But then we're going to take all those tropes and kind of just, you know, shake the machine up a little bit and say, what happens to all those tropes if we now put it through this very different lens where Superman is evil and where it's not quite, or not even evil, but is like, has a very different agenda and where it's not the boys' level of cynicism, but there's certainly a much higher level of cynicism and jadedness about all this. And I think, to me, that's what I really love is it's a chance to say, let's take the world you're so used to and then just shift it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, they they definitely nailed that because I, I think they, they really wanted to get to the main storylines and right. to the events of these characters that they didn't want to waste time with the unnecessary character development. Right. Like, you know how we've seen so many Batman movies and we've seen Martha die in the alley so many times <laughs> that when Batman v Superman came around, like, they didn't even need to cover the story. It was just kind of like a quick little snippet for the credits yeah. and went right into it. That's what this show did on every episode. We don't need yeah, to explain the, same- the origins of these aliens and this and that. You just need to know that aliens came out of this portal, they're wrecking the city, and that's a bad thing. And we're going to yeah. go focus on the development of Invincible and Omni-Man because that's what you're here for. You know that all the stuff isn't relevant in the long run of things. You just need to know that this is a threat. We're just going to put our resources and our brain power towards what's going to get this to stand out from everything else, which is a right. very difficult thing for anything superhero related to do outside of DC or Marvel because the market's just so flooded with the characters that we've had for so long. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a very good point. I think it's, on the one hand, it's very easy that, like, you know, you don't want this, but, like, how, you know, any character with super speed is going to immediately be like, oh, is that the Flash? Is mm-hmm. that, and how does that compare? And and <clears throat> I like that instead of trying to say, like, no, it's not the Flash, it's something different, they really lean into that, but in this way of saying, like, okay, but we're going to now, now play with those ideas. And I think one of the central ideas that it really kind of wrestles with is, what does it mean to be a hero? And... Obviously, especially in that main confrontation between Omni-Man and his son, Invincible, Nolan and Mark, because they, they have, like, they're not human, but obviously they lead, like, a family life together with, with their wife, his mother. W- what's your kind of take on what the show is sort of saying about who, who who do you think comes out as a hero or who doesn't at the end of the show? And, and what is it kind of saying about what being a hero means? The, the end of the series honestly kind of left me with the question that I don't think they quite addressed. And the question in this scenario is, if the hero that you looked up to, who was on this stage and said, I'm here to protect you, murdered thousands of people right in front of their eyes, what is it that gives these people hope in hero organizations at this point? Yeah, Because there was media coverage regarding, okay, yeah, this is what Omni-Man's doing, but then they were talking about, oh, the Guardians of the Globe are here to save us, and they're helping us, and doing this, and doing that. But, like, at this point, like, why, why is there so much faith in heroes knowing that they do so many wrong things, if right. that makes sense? Like, the boys kind of covered that as well, where it's like, we're seeing all the negative that comes off of them. Like right. what, what, what is the, the standard that like, why, why do they look to them to the extent that they do? 
And one of my favorite things about the show actually was the opening dialogue, the two security guides um, talking about, I was like, oh, did you go to that silly training the other day? It's like, oh, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do if a supervillain comes in. Like, our guns don't work. Like, why do we even have these jobs? So it's like, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're living under this fear factor of, like, we actually don't have the resources to stop everything, so we kind of have to. But then mm-hmm. to what extent are, like, there's there's just that weird line of, like, what's necessity and what's actually, like, them looking to these people as an inspiration. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially because somewhat Marvel, but especially in DC, there's an awful lot of that idea of, you know, Superman is, is the paragon of what we look up to. And, you know, that, that we believe in we can be better. I mean, even like Falcon the Winter Soldier, you know, Sam's whole be, we can be better speech. Mm-hmm. There's often this idea that superheroes can be that role model and things like that. And I hear what you're saying in terms of the like, why didn't the show kind of address this more of like, why would humanity keep looking up to heroes after seeing that they can fall from grace so much? And I think on one level, I share that with you. I think, though, that my response is that I feel like I can understand it because it happens in real life all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, how often do we have? So, you know, we have, especially in our you know current Internet world where we can see everything and know everything that happens, like celebrities fall from grace all the time. And sometimes it seems rather, precip- you know, out of the blue. But there's certainly a lot of people who, you know, we've learned a lot of terrible things about and and the cult of celebrity around them, like, never stops. Um, and I, I, I can, you know, you can say that about politics, you can say it about movie stars, you can say it about anything like that. Um, and in this show, I, I, I think the impression that I got was, and I think this is kind of a really good question that's raising about what, what happens to a society when we believe in superheroes like that. You know, they're so invested in this idea that superheroes keep us safe, superheroes protect us. And that, I mean, the, the show shows us that, like, they're getting invaded by aliens on the regular. You know, yeah. there are there are super villain threats all the time. I wonder if part of it's because, like, to accept that maybe these aren't all here. They sort of have to think that Omni-Man is the exception and everyone else is okay. Mm-hmm. Because to let go of that would be so, like, you know, shattering of the paradigm that they're all living in. I, and, and the more I think about it, the more I really want them to explore that in season two. Because you're right, like... What happens when everything is based on this idea that Omni-Man is the one to keep us safe? And then you see Omni-Man, I mean, not only just go against us, but in we see him, like, the whole world sees him just do horribly brutal, you know, use his son's body to murder hundreds of people on a train Shh. as a way of, like, him trying to say, like, these people are insignificant. So does that, does that kind of make sense, that idea of, like, that, that for some people, that in that world maybe the paradigm is so strong that they just can't let go of it? Yeah, and honestly, it's because of that, like, I have a lot of respect for Cecil in this show, because yeah. there there's so many people who, like, look up to these to these heroes, and he has a whole organization that's supposed to support them, but the other end of that organization is that, like, every hero that comes up, they're trying to find a ways to be able to deter them if need be. And I, I think it's because of that conversation that, like, kind of led me to just be like, yeah, you're kind of doing the right thing because it seems like he actually does care for the objective and he does mm-hmm. care for like the grand scheme of things, but he's just a reasonably paranoid Nick Fury type. We need to have yeah. our backups ready. It's funny because I don't know if you had this experience, but when I first met Cecil, to me, this is kind of one more of those tropes that they played with. Mm-hmm. I thought they very clearly were trying to introduce Cecil as the obnoxious, interfering government person 
kind of like, you know, the the S.H.I.E.L.D. council that Nick Fury has to say no to when they want to nuke New York during yeah. uh, Marvel Avengers, you know, and that he's the one who's going to he's always spying. Um, his organization has this ability to both uh, basically make people invisible, but also to teleport people. So like Cecil can just show up out of nowhere all the time. And it feels very big brother and it feels very suspicious. And I found myself very grudgingly coming to really respect and eventually be like, no, Cecil, humanity needs Cecil. Yeah. Because you're right. I think he's he's kind of the most level-headed of like, yeah, these are good people and helping us, but they can, any, any of them can go bad. You know, he's, I think, at first when, you know, Omni, the way it's set up is Omni-Man's the only survivor of this horrible fight. And so most people are like, oh God, so any, whatever it was, killed everyone else and Omni-Man barely survived. Cecil, as well as this guy named um, a, a sort of a, a literal devil who's a detective, Damien Darkblood, I think was the name. Correct me though if I'm wrong on any of these. I'm, uh, I'm scrolling well as you're saying it name. to find it. Yep, Damien Darkblood. Um, you know, those two are the only, and they're thought of as like incredibly jaded and cynical for, for thinking this. So, so yeah, did you go through that same kind of experience of at first thinking that Cecil was kind of suspicious and, and government-y and then, and only then coming to realize like, no, this is who humanity needs or were you always kind of on his side? I think I was always kind of on his side because there wasn't too much time before uh, Omni-Man's murder spree that we really got to see much of him. Mm -hmm. So then by episode two, like, all right, he's the suspicious guy. He's working with a demon detective. And at this point, we already know who Omni-Man is as an audience. So, yeah, I didn't really have much time to actually have the have the feeling that they're following a trope of you know him being the super paranoid person it's just like i i respect the character for just being the person who's prepared and like tactically aware and like understanding what and who he's working with yeah no i i think that's a really good good point and i i think for me it's just because i'm so used to that trope because it's one of my favorite tropes so, uh, i often talk about how it meant do you know uh the dc universe pretty well as well uh, I can enough to keep up a conversation with it, but you, I feel like I feel like if if they showed Omni Man being a villain halfway through, I would agree with you on it being a trope. Mm-hmm. But because we got it so quick, I don't feel like I was really presented with the the opportunity to think that way. That's fine. That that, I, that totally makes sense to me. I was just gonna ask, do you know the character of Amanda Waller? Yeah, from the DC universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to me, like to me, Cecil is kind of halfway between Nick Fury and her. And, and she's that. more often presented as an antagonist or a villain, although, especially in the Justice League cartoon, she's often much more believable and understandable. Um, and I, I just really liked him for being in that kind of place of, especially because I think he is kind of very invested in what you were talking about. He seems to really believe, he seems to really be paying attention to the idea of like what humanity needs. There's this wonderful little, um, the, the story, the whole show is a wonderful mix of being, both episodic as well as like a larger plot. Oh, and there's sure. one episode where our hero goes off to Mars and uh, where the space, the, like NASA, the space system is sending people to Mars and Cecil wants Mark to go with them both to protect them in case anything goes wrong, which it turns out because there are Martians that can attack them, but he doesn't want anyone to know that Mark's there. And I, I love the way he says it. He says, because humanity needs a win after the death of the guardians. And I feel like yeah. that's him being very well of what you're talking about is that Nat, even if they don't know that Omni-Man's evil yet or different, uh, you know, has a different morality than they do. Yeah. Um, 
they know that the people they trusted have all been wiped out. And I love that Cecil's paying attention to that. He's like, humanity needs to have the sense of we went to Mars, we did it, we were okay. Yeah, that that really does bring it back to well, what we were discussing before about like, he has a good objective. His objective right. really is the well-being of humanity. And he does, I don't think he wants to rely on heroes as much as he does. It's just kind of like, the the threat level is so bad that we need them. But yeah. if it was his choice, I don't think he would partake in that if he could. Yeah, I mean, you say that it's a mix of Fury and Waller. I think this is almost a mix of Bruce Wayne and Waller. Mm, yeah. Well, and in the show, Bruce Wayne and Waller are often the only two who agree with each other. So that makes total sense. Yeah, that's true. I guess I haven't seen enough content to where they interact very much. Uh, but yeah, it is the, the, the thing of like all right, these are the resources that we have at hand, but like, is there any way that we can kind of do this ourselves? Because yeah, humanity can be on the same level of things, but like, how do humans match up to this? Right. And they want to know, they want to reassure that this, that the world isn't heading into a, into a direction where you're inferior if you're not uh, super powered or if you right. are, human like they don't they understand that humanity could actually get the negative perception that being human is a disability yeah definitely definitely like that's that's cecil's objective is to make sure that they don't get lost in what more powerful people are able to do that they don't feel productive anymore and that's part of why i feel like it's so helpful that we also have the boys to compare it to because for me and the boys that's very much about a world in which that's happened and that's and and humanity's kind of okay with it. Mm-hmm. You know, they've really like there's that one wonderful scene in uh, an episode of The Boys. There's a, a small spoiler, but it's not a big plot point. It's just kind of a color moment. But where they're talking, there's this group of like people who have had been collateral damage uh, and been hurt by superpowered people, and, and one of them was someone who who slept with a superpowered person, and as part like basically their 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 body being what it was, they were pretty horribly injured as part of the the sexual encounter Mm -hmm. and their attitude is still that like you know but you know that's because it's it's, it was just it was just lowly little me interacting with them like what would i expect i i still got the chance to interact with that there's such that sense of like we are meaningless and nothing compared to these wonderful beings that i feel like i I love the way you're putting it because to me like the boy is is exactly what cecil is trying so hard to not let humanity fall into yeah that is a good uh parallel universe between the two because the 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 team i forget what the team is called in the boys but they end up being celebrities like there's action figures off of them it's a big deal and uh you know there's sponsorships but it it really is and they're owned by a corporation too so it Mm -hmm. is how how do we control the pr to where we get the income that we need off of these people Right. The the, yeah. the the objective of that organization isn't even humanity and the the sense of protecting the globe. It's just a marketing scheme so that they can get what they want financially. Right. Whereas yeah, I feel no... like Cecil doesn't follow that. I think he uses the government because that's the means that he needs to like fill his objective of wanting to protect people. Yeah, I think that's a really good point too. That that. And that's kind of what I talk about the boys. By the way, in the boys, it's the seven is the name of that, like the top That's what it group. was. 
and there, like, I feel like the boys is like, it takes the cynicism and the jadedness like one more step further. Cause you're right in this, there isn't that there's none. We don't see any of the commercialization and we don't Cecil's organ. Like no one really runs the guardians of the galaxy. Cecil seems to have some input on it. They seem to somewhat run themselves, but certainly whoever, like there isn't a profit motive. It really does seem to be a, how can we protect people and make them feel like they're being protected? Um, but, but you're right. I think that's a, a really good way of seeing it. And for me, that's a really great segue to talk about like some of the particular characters, especially Omni-Man, because I'm curious what your take on kind of Omni-Man's perspective is of, of he is, is he just a straight up evil villain? Does he have like a perspective we can understand or anything? Because he seems to be the flip side of this in that he very much believes like humanity is subservient and lesser than. And, and like, it, that sounds horrible to say, but I think you can kind of see it as the way like a lot of humans see animals, you know, like that they are... He describes. He says that he really cares for his wife, but that to her she's kind of a pet, and and he then goes into like much more sadistic directions. Where like I said, he he uses Mark's body literally. He holds Mark's body in front of a subway train so that all these passengers will crash into this invincible body and get ripped apart in horrible ways because he wants Mark to see like these people are meaningless and like their lives are not important compared to the great people like the Villamites. What's what's kind of your take on, on sort of where he falls in, in in the different moral questions we're talking about? It's funny you say that. By the end of this show, I feel like Omni Man was the trope. Yeah, because he had this objective and had this mission. It's like, oh, humanity changed me. Like, why am I become this way? Why do I have positive feelings? What has Earth done? So I I think that was the one character that did kind of like hit a trope by the end of it, where it's like, oh, my son is what made me feel good. Um, (laughs) but there was, there was a lot of build up to that last episode that you talked about, especially the episode where he's working with Titan to take down, uh, Machine Head. Mm -hmm. And that was like his near death experience. But they also had the conversations at that point where it's like, why would you want to help a thug with this one mission when you could be like out in the public and like saving millions and this and that, like these people don't matter. Right. Uh, uh, Mark Mark kind of tries to help this one little individual situation, and Omni Man is saying like, "Why do you care about what happens to two individuals? Why aren't, why aren't you out like fighting this big alien invasion or something like that?" Yeah, so that that was like a little taste of what we were going to get towards the end, because that right. gave us the hint of like, "There's a bigger world. Why do you care about these lesser people?" And then you find out the lesser people he's talking about actually is the planet Earth. And right. he has this objective of wanting to expand the Viltrum Empire. So they they really, really, like, they gave us hints of, like, what was to come. Like, yeah. his level of giving a shit about Earth was very, very little. Why, I, I, why he stayed that long, I don't quite understand. I think he mentioned the point, like, he wanted to make sure there was no threats. He was, like, trying to knock them out from the inside. Right. Um, but well, it, it was just so sadistic of, like, them killing their, their own population to, like, only breed the best and wanting mm-hmm. to take down all these lesser empires. And it's like, there's no reward out of any of this. Is there just It's just out of pride, which is kind of the most sickening thing about the whole Viltrum yeah. race. And I think that that's where I, – I, I, there's a lot about Omni-Man's character I want us to get into because I think there's some great questions. I do agree with you, though, that he's kind of a trope. And – and my, I'm wondering if you have the same reaction to it. I was definitely, a, after all this buildup of him obviously having this very different agenda and this very different perspective, I was a little disappointed by when we found out that the Villamites are really just kind of like, 
we want to be the best, we want power. Mm-hmm. It felt a little mustache twirly. Yeah. You know, that like like it didn't feel like I, I wanted there to be some like here's this galactic threat that we're trying like some reason in which like I always say I love the villain that believes they're the hero. I believe he thinks he's the hero, but it, it really just is like they want power for power's sake. They want empire for empire's sake. There, there didn't really feel to be like a, a bigger justification there that I wanted from that character. Yeah, I think it was difficult looking at him as a hero for the first couple of episodes and then realizing that he was the villain in that sense. Because it was like, why did our main character not have something bigger behind them when it ends up being like, well, this is this is our new villain. This right. is our new villain that has an immense amount of power. It it may be slightly disappointing to this season, but I think the seasons to follow, which seasons two and three have already been confirmed, mm-hmm. but the seasons to follow that address the Viltrumites as the main threat is going to be more more fulfilling. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're disappointed right now, but I feel like it is setting up the story to um, seeing that level of that level of power that humanity doesn't even know if they're capable of dealing with. Yeah. No, I, I think that sounds, sounds very true. And I, I would love to hear, like to see a story, like one episode that's set on that planet or one thing that gets more into where they're coming from. I want to see how he's going to, I want to see the interaction of him talking to his own people because mm, no, yeah. no Viltrumites ever abandoned their post before. And if he's right. all powerful, like what happened and how are, how are they going to look at him? Is he a traitor to his people? Are they going to look at him oh, as weak? Are they going to put him like through the trials to make sure he's actually powerful? Like, is 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 there going to be like a gladiator type situation? Like, prove that you're still a Viltrumite after being a wuss and leaving Earth of all places? Right. And I think key here to understand, especially if you haven't seen the show, and and granted, you, you, uh, maybe I misunderstood the ending, but my understanding of the ending was it's not that he's defeated; it's he's in a position where he probably could kill his son and just kind of take over but then he's kind of like you said he does have feelings for his son he does have and on some level he's just kind of unable to pull the trigger and and my take of it was he just kind of flies away in disgust whether that's you know anger at his son anger at himself like kind of just throwing his hands up with the whole situation is that the way you took it that he like he could have just continued what he wanted to do and, and killed his son and taken over but he decides not to yeah i agree with that point um but there's ramifications to that, which is what I want to see. Oh, one hundred percent come up because he could have kept up with his mission and stayed on Earth and just finished it off, and then go to Viltrum and be like, "All right, claimed it, we're good." Um, but the fact that he did leave, I, I really want to see that interaction and that conversation between other Viltrumites of like, yeah. why why did you leave? I want to see what that level of pride that this race has is going to yeah. do to to justify um or how how omni-man is going to justify his actions yeah is he actually going to go back home and ask for backup because i don't think they're going to be happy with that yeah i mean well that's why i said the thing about him having this kind of moment of like you know that he's not just defeated it's that he decides not to because i think it opens a whole bunch of doors for the character you know, it could be that he goes back and that, you know, they help remind him, like, you're a Vilamite, a Viltrumite, you just got corrupted by this planet, let's go back and kick their ass. It could be that they reject him and he starts to have, like, maybe I, we were wrong. You know, like, I'm not sure I'm ready for him to have a redemption arc by any means yeah. because he's so horrific. But I think there's a wide open sense of where his character could go. And, and you're right, putting him, 
in conversation with other people at his level, I think could be very interesting. Because all we've ever seen is him in a world where he's so many miles above everyone else. You know, the beginning of that that fight sequence was really interesting, too, because the ending of the episode before was like Mark in shock when right. he says, like, hey, we need to talk because he just saw everything that just took place. But at this point, Mark starts beating the crap out of Omni-Man and saying, who's possessing you? What's wrong? What Like, he just, he can't believe that there's right. a scenario where Omni-Man decided to do this for himself just because right. he felt like it. Uh, so that, I, I think that level of development was interesting too because I feel like the trope in this situation is, I can't believe you've, you did this, you're dead to me. Mm-hmm. When in this conversation, it was like, no, I need to protect my dad. Yeah. In, throughout that whole fight, I felt like he was holding back because we did have scenarios where he just got so mad that, you know, it was almost like a Dragon Ball Z stereotype. He powered up and just kind of like took care of business. Mm-hmm. But in this in this situation, like we really got to see Mark's humanity and how much of a human influence Nolan actually has been to him this whole time. Right. Because it wasn't that he was a strict dad or like, yeah, he was cocky in the training. Like he never let Mark have one up on him. But he actually has been an influence to Mark over the 13 years to where he just couldn't believe it. I feel like yeah. he was holding back on his fight. I feel I like uh, the, there was emotional trauma of like, no, I just can't believe this is it. And then towards the ending, too, when he's getting pounded into the mountain, he actually says, like, even if I lived a thousand years, like, you would be here. Yeah. That level of love and admiration is just like, he wouldn't have had that if Nolan wasn't good enough of a father to feed that to his child either. Right. And it makes me wonder, actually, if maybe that is a little bit of a microcosm of the question you were asking at the beginning. And that I wonder if maybe we're going to see in the next season, you know, as the world comes to terms with this understanding, maybe a lot of them are like, no, we still believe Omni-Man's good. He must have just been possessed. He mm-hmm. must, have, you know, green crypt, you know, red kryptonite or whatever the heck it was, you know, uh, that I think could be a really interesting way of playing it out of that, that one lower level of cognitive dissonance of just, I cannot accept that Omni-Man, lot, you know, he basically gaslit the whole planet, including his family for 17 years or however many years it was, many more years than that. And so I, yeah, I could see that being one more reaction of people being like, no, that wasn't the real Omni-Man. That was, mm-hmm. that was an evil clone or that was, you know, whatever the, the, the explanation could be. I wonder how much of Omni-Man was actually seen to the public too. Mm-hmm. Because the initial confrontation was just uh, Cecil's cameras. And then right. everything in Chicago happened so quick. Like, do you think anybody saw it was like strictly Omni-Man? Yeah. And then everything I mean, else that... seemed to be like on the end of a mountain and whatnot. So like... I mean, that might be another really great set of character developments for Cecil as well, because you want to talk about one more government trope. I feel uh, I feel like a trope that you often get is, you know, the secret of government is lying to the people and not telling them the truth. But Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think, kind of established, and so, so have some in other things, and, and Cecil may well be going in this direction, that idea of maybe sometimes, like, telling the people, that, letting the people see the truth is, I mean, I, I hate even saying that idea, because I feel like, that no, like, the truth is always going to be the best thing. But I, I feel like I can very much understand why Cecil might be like, no, let's let's not tell the people that the one person we always counted on is actually the most evil person this planet has ever had to deal with, um, you know. And there's to a me also, go ahead. Sorry, uh, just real quick. There's a risk in that too because people see 
Omni-Man as the hero of Earth. Right. Invincible is still new to everybody. He's just the dude whose name you don't remember who pops up in cities from time to time. So if Omni-Man's the one that's not there, Invincible his, who is going to think that like Invincible was the reason that or that Invincible wasn't the reason that Omni-Man left or right. that the the potential of perceiving him as the villain. So there's a huge risk factor of portraying that information because you don't know how your current hero is going to be portrayed at that point and if you're going to have right. the trust of the people which I believe they're heavily struggling with. Yeah. So let me there's one other thing about Omni-Man I want to ask you about and then we can kind of move on to some other characters. And here I'm going to kind of go in a in a different direction to start, but in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, there's a small spoiler for this, but you if you're anywhere on the internet, you've probably seen this one moment because it's been memed to death, although it's a great moment. Uh, but if you want to skip ahead for no spoilers for Falcon the Winter Soldier, go ahead and skip ahead like probably two or three minutes. There's a moment in that show where Zemo is explaining why he doesn't like super soldiers and mm-hmm. why he thinks super so like super soldiers are bad. And he basically says, like, because he thinks that on some level, once you become a super soldier, you're going to become a supremacist. That yeah. To be that far advanced above humanity, there's no way to not think that you're better than, that you're more advanced, that humanity is lesser because of it. Uh, and, and he does acknowledge that Steve Rogers could be the exception, but he also seems to think Steve Rogers and, and maybe Bucky Barnes at the end is an exception, but he still seems to have that's the core idea. I felt like, and I wonder if you felt the same, like if Zemo watched this story, Zemo would point to Omni-Man and go, that's what I mean. You know, that Omni-Man's idea of because he has so much more power than these people, he doesn't see them as morally relevant. He, do, he he sees them as pets or as things that you can slaughter a thousand of them in order to teach your son a lesson. Uh, do you think that's part of what, what's happening there with Omni-Man? That he, like, he's trying to teach Mark that of, like, we are superior in the exact kind of way that Zemo was talking about. I did not realize how much Zemo and Luther had in common until you said that. Mm, yeah, Lex Luther, you mean? Yeah, Lex Luthor yeah. looking at Superman is a very similar perspective of how Zemo looks at Captain America and Super cut. Soldiers as a whole. And yeah, in both scenarios, we see what quote-unquote bad Super Soldiers can do. In the DCEU, we've seen what other Kryptonians coming on Earth can do. Mm-hmm. So it is a matter of having a higher ability isn't going to make you good if that's what you're intentions uh prevail right but it leads up to light and dark facing off against each other on higher calibers Mm, and like you said once that superiority kicks in regular humanity is just animals at that point we're not any better because their their intellect is backed by a higher ability a higher capability that humanity can never match up to so whether it be in the story of omni-man or superman or the super soldiers along with captain america i think that i wouldn't call it a trope i think it's just a dilemma that always happens to reoccur you have it with the x-men versus the brotherhood too like they had no control over their heightened abilities but the way that they portrayed themselves and the way that they dealt with scenarios was something that repeatedly we see it's like confrontation is always going to be there conflict is always going to be there iron man coming up with his suit invited other people to do the same thing for the opposite reasons right uh 
I love the X-Men connection you make there, especially because you're right. Magneto and, and Professor X disagree on how to treat humanity, but they're both pretty confident that like they are a higher race of beings, you know, for sure. and that for Magneto, it's the humans aren't significant and also they're going to kill us. So we have to kill them first. For Professor X, it's more of a kind of condescending like, oh, aren't the humans so cute? Let's just, you know, help keep them in line by, by acting nice to them. But yeah, they both have, I think what Zemo would look at as supremacy. Um, you know, I, and I, I love that as well as the Luther connection as well. So I, I think it's, it's all the more reason why I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens, goes in season two, because I think Will so, uh, sorry, I don't know why I keep calling him Will. Mark so thoroughly rejects his father's perspective on that. But I think one of the things that we did see during the season is that he was having, he, like, as he was experiencing all his new troubles, all his new powers, he was sometimes having trouble, like, remembering the needs of the people around him, you know, especially mm-hmm. Amber, the girl he's dating for a while. Uh, and things like that. So I, and he does have so much love and respect for his father. I think he's horrified by the things his father did, but I do wonder if maybe a little bit of that supremacy is going to seep into him. And or the show, the show will be not that he'll like accept it, but the show will maybe be about him, re- like making sure he doesn't accept it, like because it's a temptation. Man, answering that question is just such a roller coaster right now because he goes from being a regular high school kid to finding out that he has powers to saving people, but then getting his butt kicked in training all the time. Then he has a couple near death experiences. So he tries to humble out and, you know, take his training more seriously and saving people more seriously, but then finds out that his dad is trying to kill everybody he's ever known and loved. So it's like, it's, it's hard to gauge like how much this kid has experienced and what maybe, a span of six months max, mm-hmm. if that. Yeah, I mean, we just have no idea. And I think there's, there's so, can be so much more to explore. Uh, we could spend a long time talking about the, the, that father-son there, but I wanted to touch on a couple of more uh, questions uh, while I have you here. What, Adam Eve, I think, is also another really interesting character. She's I love her a, so much. She is the person who originally, she goes to high school with Mark and... She's part of the sort of teen uh, teen team. I forget what their exact name is. That, that's a teen team. Teen team. Okay. And she, I think she's almost the, the one who's on a comparable power level. Not quite the same, but is, seems very, very, very powerful. Um, she winds up having like some interpersonal drama with other people on the team. Uh, the person she thinks is her, the person who is her boyfriend is cheating with her on another person in the team and she leaves the team. What I love though is I feel like she addresses what is a, often a question people raise as a critique of superhero stories, which is, you, you know, the kind of old thing about like, well, Bruce Wayne, like if he cares about crime, he could do a lot more by building like drug rehabilitation and like social centers rather than just punching criminals. Mm-hmm. Eve realizes like, wait, I've got this power to like shape reality around me. Maybe I should just go like, you know, help farmers and go like she just she decides to go use her powers for non-combat ways. I loved that. I thought that was such a great, like, taking of that critique that often gets put against superhero stories and really embracing it and diving into it. Yeah, I talked about that at Animation Deliberation a lot, too. It was just amazing how not only did they come up with the solution for her when she was having this conflict, but, like, they actually displayed it, too. Right. So she went up into the mountains and built her own little treehouse, which looks amazing. I'm super jealous (laughs) of it. Yeah. And then they, they spent a decent amount of time, like, Showing her, like, helping farmers and mm-hmm. uh, just working with the everyday people. Like, she's such an 
open-minded, realistic character. It's it's amazing because she could have dealt with that breakup a million and one ways. Yeah. And she made the responsible choice of this isn't the team for me anymore because this is how they treat me. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to go do my own path now. And my path mm-hmm. doesn't involve needing to fight anybody because I'm capable of so much more. Yeah. And then she I- also has the pressure of her parents, too, because they didn't want her to be a hero to begin with. They didn't mm-hmm. like that she had superpowers. They just wanted her to be, like, cozy at home. And they were, like, with this, despite knowing how passionate she is about being a hero, like, they were super condescending when she was trying to come home to say, hey, like, this happened. I'm not on the team anymore. It's like, yay, you have all these negative influences out of your life. And for her mm-hmm. to actually be able to stand up and be like, fine, I'll just take care of this on my own. I don't need my team. I don't need uh, this douchebag of a boyfriend i don't need my family like i'm in charge of my own response i'm responsible for my own development i'm responsible Mm -hmm. for me reaching my goals and helping these people in the best way possible and to be able to explore that over eight episodes and see that level of development in such a short amount of time was really incredible to watch yeah it's funny i haven't even put this together until you started talking about it going back to the question we've been talking about about like how does having that much power affect you that story of, like, I'm going to go out and use my power to help these people, I mean, that can become also very patronizing. It can become, like, you know, a very white savior complex of, like, I have this power. I'm going to go help the little people. It's not that in the slightest. There's there's a real humbleness to Adam Eve, I think, that we never see from, certainly not from Omni-Man, and, and Mark is kind of wrestling with it that I really love. The other thing that I'll say that I just, I so love about what they did with her character because it's subverting a trope. Um, I am on record that love triangles are the single trope that I, like, despise most. I have been um, waiting for you to bring this up. <laughs> I'm, I know, I know. And, like, there is a moment where, like, um, you know, Mark and Amber are together. And once that Adam Eve kind of recognizes that Mark is a superhero, like, she kind of is aware of him. And, like, there's a bit of flirtation. And there's one little moment where Adam Eve, like, now that she's single, is clearly kind of thinking about Mark in that way. She goes over to his house. She sees through his window that he's making out with Amber. And she has kind of a sad face. Mm-hmm. And also is kind of like, okay, well, good for you, Mark. And I just was like, oh, God, don't give me the love triangle. Don't give me the love triangle. Don't give me the love triangle. And they didn't. She just was like, okay, he's with someone. I have some feelings there. I'll move on. And she just moves on. And it's like I kept waiting for that shoe to drop and it didn't. Yeah. And I feel like that was, I think like they very intentionally made you think they were going that way and didn't. And I loved that. I was, I was very happy with how they, they went about that because I think that's the unusual character detail is how respectful she was of it yeah. because she also has the empathy of what it's like to be a hero and mm-hmm. the importance of keeping the secret identity. I thought right. the Amber, Mark relationship was so unnecessary. I hated every bit of it. I was so happy when it finally ended. I'll go into that later, but in regards to Adam Eve, the fact that she was, because of her level of empathy for the situation that Mark was in, she was able to comfort Amber when she was thinking that he wasn't interested or wasn't making time for her, this and that. Like She didn't have to do that. She could have easily sabotaged the situation so that they could have been together. Right. And she was just super helpful and supportive because that's her character trait is to make sh- is to take care of other people's well-being before her own mm-hmm. but also she's aware that like she's responsible for her own happiness at that point as well 
So yeah. she's it's it's almost like the I don't need no man type of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And she's just kind of like, you know what? I would like to be with him. I would like to share this experience. But if I got to do it by myself, that's perfectly fine. So she's comfortable with yeah. her enough with herself to just be like, I can I can take care of this person's happiness because that's actually important to me, and I don't need it to be with me to be able right. to you know I, I'm I'm this is sufficient. And yeah. even when they broke up, like, she was just supportive right off the bat, like, oh, I'm helping you this time. And she didn't move in at that point. She didn't mm-hmm. try to, like, support the breakup or this and that. Like, she was just, she's what everybody wants in a good friend, to be honest. Yeah. And, I mean, TV, again, I know these stories are often based on the comic books. So I'm going to say, like, TV being what it is, but also maybe these stories are established in the comics, too. You know, storytelling being what it is, I think it's quite likely that at some later point in the future mark and adam eve will get together um or at least that 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 like her moment of interest as well as because you, you got a sense that mark kind of was crushing on her at one point as well not in like i know her well but just like the beautiful girl in high school so i think there's certainly a strong potential for them there i don't really think we need a romance i didn't love him romance either and we'll talk about that in a minute so i'm not hoping for that but i would say if it has to happen for it to be a I was interested in you for a moment, but you were with someone. I put those feelings away. Now, six months after your breakup, let's maybe, like, check back in and see if we're interested in each other still. To me, that's a much healthier and, like, just a nice way of breaking that trope and showing it in a different way. Yeah, and I'm hoping there isn't a future triangle with uh, Rexplode, Adam, yeah. Eve, and Mark. Because I, I it seemed like they were kind of, like, handsy with each other when they, like, met up on certain occasions. Like, they're really, really comfortable with each other. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping, like, something doesn't evolve to where it's, like, the opposite of Mark being interested, but them being together. Because that kind of happened at the beginning. But yeah. Rexplode also doesn't really seem to be able to process the motion very well because it's just very yeah. dynamic and out there. I mean, he, yeah, he, when he cheated on uh, Adam Eve, he had that very, like, oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, it was a very, like, not taking no no empathy as well. Yeah, so, um, I don't know. He so, seems to be very territorial, and I'm hoping that that doesn't cause, like, future issues yeah, within the definitely. romance department. Because, like I said, we don't need the romance. If it happens, I hope it's not forced, but we, we really don't need it. So I had a rant to give, and I think you may be about to give a sim- the same rant, or a similar let's, rant, but I'll let you have the stage it. first. What did you not like about Mark and Amber? It was the trope. (laughs) It was very forced. Like, yeah, the way they met was cool. Like, she kind of, like, defended him and whatnot. And then he defended her honor and et cetera, et cetera. But, like, the chemistry wasn't there at all. And he knew he had too much on his plate. So it's like, why are you going to screw over somebody else's lifestyle knowing that you are not benefiting? It was so... So flipping, I'm trying to watch my mouth right now. It's so flipping selfish of him. <laughs> yeah. To to put her in this situation knowing that he was only going to make it worse. Like, she did not deserve that as a person. Yeah. And he was an asshole for being in a relationship just because he's a high school kid that, like, needs a girlfriend or whatever. Because it looks cool. Or because it makes him feel good. Or, I... I and especially, like, knowing her character of, mm-hmm. like, wanting to help other people and being a hero in her own light. And being somebody who can actually take care of herself to be put in that situation was just, like, it was just sick, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I very much agree with you. I'm glad we're kind of on the same page there. I think, I think especially because it really plays into, and I'll say the show subverted this a little bit, but I still didn't like it. 
one of the most basic tropes is that our hero is has to have a secret identity, that they have a romantic partner. Sometimes it's a family member, like a mom or an aunt, or but most often it's a, a family, uh, a romantic partner, who can't know that you're a superhero, but but keeps being suspicious about like why are you staying out all night? Why do you have these bruises? You know whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so you have to just straight up gaslight them. You have to constantly be lying to them and making them like question their own perceptions of it all. And that is such a trope. I mean, this goes back to like Clark and Lois to um, what happens in the the Flash TV show quite a lot um, to, to a lot of things. And sometimes it's handled well. Sometimes it's handled very like, oh, that poor silly person. Why don't they just trust their person when it's like, of course, why would they? And I do at least like that what, we, what A, Amber, like, we realized that she she knew who he was all along. She was just mad that he kept lying to her. Oh, I love that. I love that because that at least is like it's less of the gaslighty thing. But especially because what it avoids then is the moment where the character says, oh, I'm sorry I lied to you. It's because I'm this hero. And the person says, oh, okay, that justifies everything. I still love you. Let's kiss and fade off into the sunset. And here's an interesting connection I hadn't thought of before. Like to me – I don't like that story, and I don't think the story needs it. I don't know if this is intentional, but the one way I can find it justified is if part of what, like, to me, there's an interesting comparison between Mark and Amber and his father, Nolan, and, you know, Nolan's wife, Mark's mother, whose name I keep not saying because I can't Debbie? remember. Debbie, thank you. Um, just not not at all in, like, the, the horrible ways Omni-Man treats her, but, like, I feel like part of what happens with Mark is he gets all his powers and now he's just like, oh, I can do anything. I can make this happen. And he keeps making these promises to Amber that he can never keep. Mm-hmm. But you're right. He's being selfish. He's not thinking about her needs. And I feel like that's a that, – I don't think Mark, before he got superpowers, would have done those things. Um, I mean, he's a 17-year-old boy, and 17-year-old boys in relationships are generally pretty dumb. Present company of myself very much included. Um, so maybe he would have. But, but I feel like there was a little bit of a, like – He's going just a, a tiny bit in the direction his father is of, like, he's not seeing this person with all the respect she deserves. He's like, well, I have all these powers. I can do everything. I can be a boyfriend and save the world. I can make it work. Yeah, uh, it definitely seemed like he was part of the the nerd crew in high school mm-hmm. before his yeah. powers. Which, yeah, that's, that's me too. So I, I think the, the overall notion of him having a girlfriend was what was shocking. Yeah. Of like, oh my god, I actually got the girl, someone's interested in me, blah blah blah. And yes, the powers led to an overconfidence in that scenario. Um but again it was all for selfish reasons. He had to be yeah. the high school kid that had a girlfriend, otherwise he'd be the loser for however long. Yeah. Uh exactly. so so everything about that was selfish. But I loved the breakup scene so much because it was as you said, it wasn't, oh, because I have powers, like, take me back, blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, no, I I, I was aware you're just an asshole, though, and I'm not yeah. here to date an asshole, so you know where the door is. Bye. And, of course, people who've watched the end of the show are probably yelling at us because then that all, then we do get some level of that moment where Amber sees just all the terrible things he goes through in fighting his dad and she does have that moment of like, oh, God, I was so worried about you. I'm so sorry. And it does seem like all is forgiven and they're back together now. Um, so, yeah, that also did kind of undercut that for me. But I'm, I'm at least hopeful for where it's going to go in the second season. Like, maybe there's this understanding that, like, he's learned a lesson. I feel like Amber is way too generous to him with that. 
But honestly, she was the whole season. Like, one of the reasons I often don't like the sort of, like, geek boy gets hot girl romance, A, because it's just like, you know, hot girls can be geeks too, geek boys can be hot and be, like, I mean, there's just so many different gender stereotypes invested in all that. Mm-hmm. But often, like, part of the story is that no matter how many times the geek boy screws it up, the beautiful woman will always sort of let, you know, forgive him. Yeah. And that happened again. And he put had powers. He was just an awful potential boyfriend. And Amber just kept forgiving him again and again and again. I, I get awkwardness is cute for sure. And it's a fun thing to play with. But yeah, I, I really didn't like that at the ending because I had loved it so much like you when they broke up. So we'll see. It may just be kind of the one sour note. And, you know, it's uh, with shows like this. People want a romance. You know, it's hard often to like get into a comic book or something without a romance. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes because it's yeah, I loved a lot of parts seasons. of it. But overall, I hated it. The next two seasons can honestly not have her at all. And I would have been perfectly fine with that. Yeah. Or or have her, but like, you know, off screen, she realized he's still a bit of a jerk. They broke up and now she's just a friend to people. You know, I'm fine yeah. with that. The last little thing I wanted to comment on, I don't know if there's too much of a discussion about it, uh, but just to kind of like make my comment. I think you, you see it differently. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on. One of the things I think that gets discussed about the show the most is the level of violence, because mm-hmm. it certainly had a the boys level of violence. And the animation style is very much not realistic. Like, it's not like you feel like it, you're very clearly watching an animation, not like something that almost looks a person on screen. But that being said, there I mean, like, there's eyeballs popping out. There's, like, innards being ripped out. Like, it is a very gruesome, gory, violent show. I did not feel like it was necessary. And I, I'm not, like, a super moralistic, like, people are going to watch this and go, like, do terrible things. I don't think that, like, more blood and gore is necessarily good for the world, but I don't think it's, like going to harm things necessarily but it, it just made it harder and unpleasant for me to watch and by the end i feel like i'd been like honestly the scene in the subway didn't really affect me because by then i just gotten so used to the brutality of the show and the violence that it was just like okay it's just more body parts what's the big deal uh I'm, I, I think though from what i've heard you say on animation liberation you had a very different take on it so i want to kind of what's your take on like the goriness and the violence of it I think it got what they were going for Mm -hmm. in regards to us and as an audience understanding the brutality of what was happening throughout these events. When I watched the first episode, as I said, I went in blind. It's probably 11 o'clock at night. It's like, oh, let me watch an episode before I go to bed. I did not go to bed after that first episode. Yeah. I, I think I had to watch like maybe four or five episodes of a sitcom before like my brain calmed down enough to go to sleep. Like that was graphic without any context. Yeah. And I'm sure the people who have read the comics were listening to me like, well, if you read it, you could have known, but like, no, nah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a TV and film guy, not a comic guy. Yeah. And I get why they went as far as they did. Honestly, the mountain scene and the train scene that did hit me. Like when I was mm-hmm. watching that, like it actually made me feel sick watching it. Yeah. So, yes, I feel like it was excessive and didn't need as much as it gave. But for the sake of the story, it worked for what they were going for. That makes sense. And I think with something like that, like, there's never going to be a perfect mount. You know, I think, like, I, I, I know I've heard from other people who, like, literally couldn't watch the show because of it. And from some others who were more like where me or like, it just was so over the top as to be that it stopped having any effect. But I think mm-hmm. I, it's helpful to me to hear that for you. And I, I surely think for others on, on many others I've heard 
the violence was very effective for that reason of like that you needed that to see that level of brutality to for, for really to like make it because I think often especially with cartoon stuff there's a sense of like okay you know everyone's gonna be okay by the end of the episode and the violence definitely did make that very clear like this is not a kids show you know in any way shape or form yeah and that that's the primary focus of our podcast on animation deliberation as well is that people have this perception of animated content and cartoons that gives us the impression that there's no good storytelling or that everything's going to be all right. But when we watch shows like young justice and avatar and quite a few animes out there, like, uh, like we're doing demon slayer and my hair academia, we do hit these stories where it's like animated content does not take away from good storytelling. And this show was just a neon sign to prove that. Well, let me ask you this, and maybe this is kind of going to a more of a meta question, but I, I want to give people kind of a taste of the kind of stuff you get into so often in Animation Liberation because it's a great podcast. I feel like this show is a little different, though, than the things you just mentioned, at least the ones that I mentioned. I know, because, like, to me, Avatar The Last Airbender, Batman the Animated Series, maybe even, like, some of the Star Wars stuff that I love, like Clone Wars and, and Rebels and now Bad Batch, I feel like those shows are very much family-friendly. They are for all ages, Sure. But they often, like, will surprise you with just how deep the issues they go into are. Um, I don't, I think, and so I think that you're very much, and, and to me, honestly, like, uh, my friend Paul, who's often a, a guest on this podcast, you know, he got me into watching Batman the Animated Series and then Avatar The Last Airbender, and that's honestly what turned me around and made me realize what you're talking about, that animation can absolutely tell very deep, very intense, very character-driven, story-driven, justice-driven, you know, stories. To me, though, this is this is not a kid's show with good messages. This is very much a, like, I would probably not watch this with my 8-year-old. Um, do, I don't have an 8-year-old, but, you know, hypothetically. Do you feel like that's true? Like, that, that, that this is also showing that you can also have, like, not adults only, like, in a porn way, but, like, you can have TV shows that are for mature audiences that are animated without losing any of that, like, this is a mature topic for mature people. Oh, 100%, because, like, on one end of it, there's, I, I I tell people to watch Invincible because I feel like they'd enjoy it for whatever reason. And the initial reaction is, oh, but it's animated. Yeah. It's like, exactly. what does it have to do with anything? Like, there's really good animated content on there. On the flip side of things, I don't know if you've watched, like, the DC Animated Universe movies that started yeah. with Justice League War and just recently ended with Justice League Dark Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I would not recommend that as a family movie. Yeah. Yes, it has the Justice League members you know and love. That stuff gets really dark mm-hmm. in regards to the storyline, especially how graphic the the action got towards the end. The newest season of Young Justice is like that as well, because now that it's on DC Universe, they took away like the ratings, so they could be free with whatever they wanted to do on there, and some of the stuff got very graphic. Yeah, I haven't seen that specific series of movies, but I have seen, and we actually did uh, discussions on this podcast about... Uh, Red Sun, the movie, and Gotham by Gaslight, um, which I think okay. also, also but Gotham by Gaslight's a little more of a kids kids friendly one, but not. I mean, it's about a Jack the Ripper style, you know, prostitutes are being murdered kind of a story. It's not really mm. a hey, eight year olds, come check this out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right, and and uh, I think it's kind of maybe a great place to wrap this up. Is you know, to me, what I love about your podcast so much is you're really taking that head on, and I'm I'm glad as well because for me. You know, I started this podcast because I like the idea that these stories can 
give us real insight into questions that are real in our own world. And we can dive mm-hmm. deep into these matters of ethics and justice and characters and right and wrong and what do we do in impossible situations. And I, I think animated shows can raise those questions just as well. And I, I'm really glad you could come on and talk about Invincible because it, it does a great job. And what you're doing with uh, the Animation Liberation podcast is, is really kind of nailing them home. So why don't you take a minute? Just, I think many of our listeners are probably already Animation Liberation folks, but just for those who aren't, take a minute and tell them about uh, Animation Liberation, where they can find it, and also kind of what stuff you're covering. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it's Animation Deliberation. You can find it anywhere you get your podcast. It's uh, the newest show that is on the Stranded Panda Network. Uh, so if I don't know how you've avoided what, listening to any of them, but MCU cast, <laughs> Star Wars Universe podcast, uh, Superhero Ethics, Binge Assemble, all great shows. We're glad to be a part of it now. Uh, we We cover animated series, obviously, from TV shows to some movies. We're diving into anime a little bit because... A lot of good anime content out there that yep. I've been dying to talk about. Um, some of which so, is family friendly, some of which is very... Cowboy Bebop is not a show for kids. I mean, no, no. Neither is Demon Slayer, <laughs> which is the most recent thing that we recorded. And it was, yeah. oh god, didn't expect to cry that much in one episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anything that's animated, check us out. Hit us up at animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com for all of your feedback stuff or something that you want to see. Uh, we are talking with uh, Mr. Fox here at um, the Star Wars Universe podcast regarding Bad Batch, and we're going to be covering the Modoc series soon. And also, we'll be checking out What If with the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast people. So, we're excited to be working with all these other shows so much, and we would love for you to check us out and tell us what you think. Yeah, and we, we've just announced actually that Friday mornings are now going to be uh, animation morning because. Both MODOK and Star Wars The Bad Batch both get released, you know, Thursday night, Friday morning. So we're going to be doing something where uh, on Twitch we'll first be live recording the episodes of uh, our feedback episode or response episode to the newest one about uh, The Bad Batch on the Star Wars Universe podcast. But we're doing it on, on the Strand of Panda TV Twitch and then kind of handing it right over to watch and then do a review of MODOK, uh, the MCU uh, animated show that's coming out. So we're going to do all sorts of great stuff on Friday. All that will be in the show notes as well as uh, if you just go to strandedpanda.com or um, search for us on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And I'll give more of that contact information in a second. But Zuhair, thank you so much for being a part of this. This has been a great conversation. Are there any other last points or questions or just little things you wanted to bring up about uh, Invincible that we didn't get to? Uh, I want to hear your like quick two-minute thoughts on one other thing. Go for it. This is one scene that really, really bothered me in the series in terms of the ethics of it. What were your thoughts on the Sinclair storyline of taking people and replacing them into being robots? And then um, Cecil using those people to his organization later on. Yeah, I think this is a very interesting story. I'm very glad you brought it up. And, and just to, yeah, you kind of summarized, but just kind of for those folks who haven't seen it or don't remember, basically Sinclair is this person they meet on a college campus who is like he has all these crazy. He's very much like Sinclair to me is a Batman villain, 100. percent You know, he's got all these crazy ideas about perfecting humanity and making sort of half people, half robots. He's totally you know, he's killing people. He's, he's ruining their lives, and he gets basically like stopped and captured. Uh, in part because of a gay hookup, which is a, just a fantastic part of the story as well. And I like to see that little bit of uh, queer representation. But but yeah, and then later we realize that when Cecil is trying to literally put anything he can 
against Omni-Man. One of the things he uses is Sinclair and his, like, robots. And he very clearly does not like Sinclair, but Sinclair is a free person, at least for that moment, wandering around, like, you know, in the control room helping. To me, it was, like, the perfect illustration of who Cecil is. Because, to me, Cecil is, is very much like Nick Fury, is the definition of pragmatism. You know, he is the... I will do what I have to do in order to get things done. And I admit that as much, I I am very much an ethicist, but I I think that sometimes there can be something very ethically ethically problematic about holding on to your ideals, even when it's a situation that, to me, it's very clear it doesn't. And I may be about to throw down a bombshell that we'll have to debate another time, but like to give you the example, to me, the counterexample to what Cecil does with Sinclair is Captain America in Infinity War, where he stops Vision from killing himself in order to prevent everything from happening by saying we don't trade lives. I think Steve Rogers was wrong in that moment. Because, A, he, he is trading lives. He's just trading the lives of Wakandan soldiers instead of Vision. But I think sometimes, like especially if Vision's willing to make... like Captain America was willing to leap on a grenade all the time. Um, if Vision's willing to make that sacrifice, I think sometimes... You have to say in the pragmatic moment, we can't do the thing that is idealistically perfect. We have to do the the least bad of a number of bad options in order to stop something worse. I hate what Sinclair did. I hate the existence of those things. And a part of me just doesn't want anything to do with it. But like if Cecil had said, like, Sinclair, you need to go out and like torture five more people to make five more robots, then I'd be totally against it. I think the fact that all the damage has already been done, like it's not causing more harm. It's just sort of validating and using the things that Sinclair did as well as maybe, I mean, I don't know if by the end Sinclair goes back to prison. I I certainly hope he does, but you know, I guess to me, that's where I feel like, I feel like it's very pragmatic. It's very dark. It's very like the least of a least bad of a number of other possible options. But if he's looking at the possibility of Omni-Man either enslaving or just destroying the planet, to me, that's a moral compromise. I feel like Cecil, like him making is, I think it is actually the more ethical choice. Um, but what, what do you think? I think I, you may be in a different position. So that was probably the main storyline of this series that genuinely made my blood boil. I can see that. When they were kidnapping the kids and ruining it for life just for, like, his experience and whatnot. I, I verbally, I actually jumped up and cheered when Mark backhanded Sinclair and broke his jaw. I was so yeah, happy at that, that point. Such it's just, the way they depicted that, like, really made me sick. Like, thinking about it, it's just, like, so irritating right now. I drew from a different MCU scene. Mm. Because Cecil had the line of... The, the robot people that we're using right now are people who want to serve their country one last time. Yeah. Which I had such mixed feelings about. Like, are these ex-soldiers or battle-worn veterans that, like, wanted to be put back out in the field? Like, did they, did they like, give them the propaganda of, like, this is how you can serve your country again? Like, what was the extent of communication to these people before they volunteered for this? And, like, how are they actually, like, in this robotic state, not knowing that they won't be able to go back to, like, whatever their lives were before this? 
And the the MCU scene that I'm referring to is in Iron Man three when he got um amputees and war veterans to take the extremis to get their parts back and be functional again, but again to be part of their organization and do things their way. So it's right. like how much emotional manipulation had to go into getting people to quote unquote volunteer to go through this program and at what point do they ever become free from that and and that may be where because i feel like we didn't get that scene explored enough and so maybe actually that you caught things that i didn't because i i, I think when cecil said that to me it was 100 percent uh this is what he has to tell himself to sleep at night but we mm-hmm. we know he's lying to himself and it's it's pure self-justification I didn't get the understanding that Cecil had talked more people, like that there had been Sinclair had able to do this to more people. Uh, oh, the like end it, scene was him looking over the balcony and looking at Sinclair making a whole army of these things. Oh, okay, I, I missed that entirely. Then, then that's yeah, that yeah, that that does that. Uh, yeah, that changes it pretty dramatically. Yeah, um, this is an ongoing project. Like I, I was not happy when I saw those things during the Nolan fight. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's going to be an ongoing thing in the next two seasons, this was like, oh god, I don't think I could stomach that. Yeah, and I mean, here I'll, I'll say, like, for me as an amputee, like, I, I know how how like, especially when moments when I've really been like not in a mentally good place about being an amputee, I would have been very vulnerable to someone telling me like, oh yeah, if you just take this extremis, you do this thing, you you'll get to have your leg back, you'll get to have your body back, and and you just have to join this organization or whatever. So. Yeah, and I, I apologize here. Like, I, I, I saw the show, and I, for some, like, they do, like, the kind of montage thing where there's just so much packed into it, and I just somehow, oh, like, yeah. that moment just, just slipped me by. Because you're right, that does change it a lot. And I, I, I want to know a lot more about what that process is because I feel like, I think there's a world in which, for me, Sinclair himself being involved in it just makes it so, like, if it was a, like, Sinclair's awful, he's going back to jail, but we're going to try and use his technology in a somewhat better way, then I can sort of get to it. But, I mean, you actually kept saying Cecil is like um, Nick Fury. So maybe actually the best comparison of all of this is that this is Nick Fury uh, basically before the movie Avengers thinking he can make weapons out of the Tesseract, you know, Uh, that he's been scared, he wants something to do, but he's clearly messing with things beyond his power. And, And I think the movie's pretty clear, like, it's a mistake and that it, it awakens the things that leads to the Chitauri invasion and all that. Um, I'm not trying to make sure I make details right of a movie I haven't seen in a couple of years, but, hmm. but anyway, yeah, no, I, I think the more in that context, I think you're right, is much more morally troubling, but it, it kind of in a way makes me love Cecil's character even more because yeah. I think he's wrong to do it probably, but I also understand why, having seen Omni-Man go bad and having seen everything you threw at Omni-Man not work, that that Nick Fury, Amanda Waller, Cecil level of desperation of, you, you know, I, I think in some ways it's also a really good illustration of like the danger of an existential threat. Like mm-hmm. when you feel like there's an existential threat, you feel justified now in doing anything and everything. And again, that's something we see in our own world all the time. But then there's a, um, you know, it's the every, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like it's now yeah. become a lot easier to be like, well, this is an existential threat. This is an existential threat. So, yeah, I, I really want to see how they explore that in season two. And I feel like that's, that may be a big thing we do an ethics podcast on because oh, it's so mixed. It's so mixed, you know, and 
because I think I'm I'm very bothered by it. I had the same reaction. Like I hated Sinclair. I, I thought he was very much like one of the worst villains, not worst like badly written, but like most awful. He had no respect for the people he was doing this with. He thought he was making everything better. But also there's that part of me, like I, I feel like I have to feel like Cecil is wrong for doing this. And I do think he is. But also I'd wonder what the alternative is. You know, he knows Omni Man's coming back. He knows the Viltrumites are coming back. Um, and we did see like those robots like held up Omni Man for like three minutes, not much, but they put up a little bit of a fight against him. So, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where like I think I could stand back and say it is clearly ethically wrong that he does this. He shouldn't do it. I've also never been asked to figure out the defenses for a planet to avoid extinction. Yeah, and 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 I don't I like ah, God, that's such a great moment. <laughs> it so gets into the heart of the show. So anyway, yeah, that, that, I've said quite a lot. I'll pass it back to you there. I mean, it really is a classic. Um, do the ends justify the means? And yeah. I don't even think it was so much of. I'm not sure if it was so much of Cecil doing it for those reasons as much as it is just the process itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it really goes to this idea of what level of agency do the people who are doing this have, you know? Yeah. Do I believe there's a possibility that in the face of this thing, people would volunteer? Yes. Yeah. Do I believe there's a way that I could be convinced that there isn't some coercive manipulation happening or some exploiting of bad circumstances where you're like, they volunteered, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard to know. So, well, good. I'm glad with our last two minutes, you brought up a topic that could have been an entire episode. Thank you very much for bringing <laughs> that up. Um, Sorry, that was just bo- that was bothering me so much. It had to be one of those things we talked about. I couldn't leave without it. No, I'm so glad. I, I think I think it's, I, I think I was so fo- I went into episode eight so focused on I want to know what's happening with Omni Man that I kind of maybe like you know um, tunnel visioned on that a little bit, and that's kind of why I missed that part entirely. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And hey. That level of insight, if you want more of that, check out the Animation Deliberation. It's a great podcast. So to our fans and listeners, um, what do you all think? Would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, this podcast, all my podcasts are done under The Ethical Panda. So you can you can contact us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook by just searching for The Ethical Panda. Uh, as Zahir said, you can find all the stuff about this podcast, their podcast, uh, my Star Wars podcast, Star Trek, Marvel, so much great stuff all on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. You go to strandedpanda.com, but especially if you go to Facebook and look for the Stranded Panda chat group, it's a fantastic group. We've got more than a 1,000 members. We always are discussing these kind of topics. Uh, we're actually very good about spoilers. We will always nest spoilers about things that have just come out for the first, like, 48 hours or so. Some people are like, that's that's crazy. That's nowhere near enough time. But when you're super fans like us, you need to talk about it. So we, it's a great community to join, great place to discuss it. Sign on there. Let us know what you think. Tell us why uh, the two of us are totally wrong or what you believe or what you think is different. What do you want from the season two? I, I will say, you know, just one little thing uh, that I'll, I'll kind of get your comment on then. We'll, we'll wrap this up. The show, you, you mentioned that the show started with this like little throwaway scene of two security guards, one of whom is played by John Hamm, voiced, voiced by John Hamm, talking about how like... As human security guards, the idea of them learning how to deal with supervillains is just ridiculous to them. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed when I realized they weren't actually the main characters of this show. Because <laughs> they told oh, really? Like, <laughs> a, because that, I think that story of, of just telling a story of humans in a world of superheroes is so interesting. 
But also they set up this beautiful story of the John Hamm character coming to terms with his stepson who had hated him for a long time and now accepted yeah. him as a stepfather. And it was so beautiful. And then I was like, where did that story go? Um, so I hope that comes back at least a little bit in season two because we did have them drop in and we got to see the stepson later. It was just a wonderful like little running commentary throughout the season. Yeah, I was not expecting that dialogue to be as long as it was at the beginning. Uh-huh. Oh, but it sense. definitely it definitely stuck with me throughout every episode. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad you got to be a part of this. Um, I know Jay Scotty wanted to be a part of it. Just schedules didn't line up. But we'll have both of you on for Star Wars episodes, Bad Batch. Definitely check out all the great things we're doing. And to all you listeners, please um, – uh, and to all you listeners, please check out what we're doing. Please uh, let us know what you think and have a great day. Bye.